Nickel City Chronicles. Today I got a returning guest and um, Richie English. Last time you were here, man, we had quite a couple, quite a good following after that. Thousands, yeah. thousands of views, man. Thousands of views, man. Yeah, that conversation took a, a turn. It did. <laughs> it did. Um, and we didn't have any plans for that either. We were no, just, we didn't. We're doing the same thing right yeah. now. We don't have any topics really. We're just gonna go off. Of, we only the only thing we said was let's talk. Let's 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 get into what we think this universe is, where we came from, where we're going. Let's, that was let's, our starting point. We're gonna go deep yeah. and philosophical in this <laughs> one. But the last one we had, dude, it was kind of cool because you and I both have been through our ups and downs with. Uh, recovery and addiction we put we kind of just met in the middle and talked about our 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 path and where we're going and some some solutions to some people who who can identify and it went well and we got a good uh good response from it and it's yeah that was was fabulous because that's uh because of course addiction is uh the equal opportunity destroyer Mm -hmm. it's like you know probably i don't know besides covid or you know viruses in general like um, the most indiscriminate destroyer, you right. know, that uh, you could ever meet. I've had to give it to addiction because it's been with us since the dawn of man. Right. So, uh, yeah, you always know that you'll be able to <clears throat> relate to somebody uh, in the room because uh, we are all around in every demographic and any gender or any way anyone identifies themselves like addiction. Uh, it just doesn't know any boundaries you know and it's crazy because this these two topics that kind of meet because this, one of the biggest solutions to addiction and this can help not just for addiction but for life when when tragedy happens you can get through things by having some principles in in place and sometimes so actually i should say sometimes mostly most of the time or for me at least these principles sort of align into a philosophy of life and and, and sometimes it ties into religion, spirituality, but the the core of it, you really really get down to who am I? Why am I here? Is this all about me? Am I the main character of this? Should I be selfish? Or is it or is it greater? Is it is this life bigger than me? Is there something greater that I'm a part of? You know what I'm saying? And I know exactly what you're saying. And that's where because those are all uh, big, the big scary questions. And you never and, Sorry. You, and if anyone has thinks they have the answer to this question, you're flat lying. Yeah. Cuz there's there's just no way of knowing. I mean, it's like it's like the the analogy of an ant trying to understand the globe from there's from his ant mole. Like there's no way. There's not a possible way you can get that ant and teach it what what this world is and you know what I'm saying? And so there's a, before I forget, um, there's a novel called Flatlands and uh, it's, it's rather old. It's a classic, but it's all a big political allegory and it, um, it won't be that guy or, you know, that douchebag that, oh, did you see this movie? Oh, well, you have to hear every detail about it. And then, <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy. It's just like very loosely. It's a political allegory that describes uh, various class struggles um, in terms of telling a story uh, about a bunch of geometric shapes, squares, circles, you know, each representing a different class in a two-dimensional plane, the Mm. flatlands. And it's the story of what happens when these two-dimensional geometric figures that are the society of which is in an upheaval uh, encounter a sphere that comes down 
out of three dimensions and encounters them. And obviously they have no idea that three dimensions exist. They can't conceive Mind of it. So, you know, the, and, um, the sphere takes, you know, a two dimensional representative to 3d land to, um, show him. And, uh, the way this author describes this is it's, uh, it's impossible to, paraphrase like it's it's magical but it's it's mind-blowing like he gets the closest to um uh capturing the feeling of having one's mind blown yeah uh and the reason that i bring flatlands up is because uh understanding the answer to any one of these questions i think you know would would be not possible it would be like understand like truly understanding infinity you know, understanding something like without beginning or without end, like you can intellectually understand its implications, but to grasp people, it, the people essence to... of it is that's like, hey, Neil, I want you to imagine a brand new color. You can't. You can't. You, you can imagine purple, shades. You can think of purple you know, like, and green. You can't go past. You that, can though. get really novel with you know your shades. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, just look at Jackson Pollock. But uh, you, you, know, you know, you can't imagine a new thing. Only God can. And you know what's crazy? You mentioned the Flatlands thing. Is there's, there's truth to that? Like science has now come to the point where it's we're now thinking, there are eleven dimensions that we know. Of. Yeah, we know about these higher dimensions, <laughs> and we also know that infinity. You can if, trying to represent infinity by math. What the only thing, only way you can describe it is that each decimal is in, like one one to two is infinite in between one point one one point one 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 point, and that can keep going for infinity. So. Actually, zero, which is a pretty new concept mathematically. It's not, you know, as old as time. Zero is a concept. Yes. Because zero is not actually nothing. Zero represents, uh, like, the infinite nature of all possible numbers. And the only reason it becomes zero... If somebody like, knows where... When you start, play, like, taking integers out of that infinity, right. then it it ceases to exist. And so you, it's really, this zero is like a mind bending. Well, I'm trying to think cause I, I, I love history and I know the word, I know that the concept of zero didn't come till way later. Yeah. It was I, I, I don't know if it was the Chinese or the Babylonians. I can't remember who someone in the comment knows the answer. Oh, it was later comment. than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could have been the Greeks actually. I don't know. I think zero. Was All this. I know is this, that for a long time, for thousand, for at least thousands of years, when mathematics was on the rise and people were discovering all these constants like like pi, there wasn't no a concept of a zero until way later on. Mm -hmm. And then they figured out that there could be nothing. Um, it's mind-blowing. The zero concept really freaked me out. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's one of these sentences that I can only... How can something come from nothing? Well, yeah. Okay, so... Um... Oh God! Don't get me started. Like <laughs> I'm trying to. That's I'm, why I wanted to have you yeah, back on. I'm trying not to. Um, see, now I forgot what I was going to say about zero. Oh, zero freaked me out because uh, it turned my understanding of it on its head. Like the real explanation, I didn't know it was like the representation of all possible numbers. You know that one can conceive of. I, you know, I always thought zero was like you know absolute zero, right, or whatever. But of course, math is like I don't know once. The idea of, like, imaginary numbers or whatever, it's, I, I'm going to sound dumb, but, like, that kind of offends me. That tells me everything I need to know about math. <laughs> like, when you start dealing with imaginary numbers, like, I, I'm... 
Yeah, I'm signing out. Yeah, at that point, it's too far in for that. But but um, but but the reason why I said that was because we're we're at the point now where quantum science, which is the new leading science, quantum theory, it's the most successful uh, so it, theory of uh, describing. Uh, nature existence, of yeah, yeah, the nature of reality that we know of it just yeah. it also says the weirdest things about it. Right. So we had there was string theory in the nineties, and that sort of got debunked. Now it's quantum physics, quantum folk. and quantum quant. If you if you if you if you go on YouTube, if you read any books by quantum physicists, which weirdly I sometimes do. I don't know why. Even Hawking. <laughs> yeah, they'll tell you that they think that we are in some sort of simulation right now. That oh. all the, all the evidence points to the way that. Atoms can disappear and reappear. Electrons and protons and neutrons arrange themselves to create matter in a certain way. Because this wood is is the reason why it's wood is because atom or protons and neutrons are shaped in a certain way, and all of that is so that there, there's there's one mystery that ties everything together. And you hear a lot of a scientists will say, "Give us one miracle, and we'll figure out everything else." Because they, they to this day, it's like. The only thing they can wait, the only way they can piece the puzzle together is by saying that we might be in some sort of simulation. Now, they don't go any farther than that. Nobody ever explains what that simulation is or if there's a creator of this simulation. They don't want to get into that because science isn't science is not concerned with things that they can't prove. So if I draw if I pick up this pen and I let go of it, it's gonna hit the, the table. That's science. Like you pr- you can prove that you can do this trick a million times and it'll always be the same. But if you say that, well, maybe it can float in the air, science says, get away from me. I don't want to hear that. Because they, all they care about is what they can prove. So when, so they'll say, yeah, it looks like we're in a simulation, and, but they won't go any past that. They won't even try to even think about what that even means. So it's actually up to us to fill in the blanks. So Stephen Hawking, uh, God rest his soul. I love that man. I wept when he died. I was inconsolable. Um, my My mom... You know, can attest to that. She was home that day. And uh, Stephen Hawking uh, had, had a chapter about this called, uh, in the book, uh, A Brief History of Time. And it's, uh, I think the chapter is called Time's Arrow. And it was, uh, I was just reminded when you, when you were dropping the pen and, uh, you know, talking about the law of gravity. Um, yeah, that's pretty... That's a pretty immutable law, you know, until until you drop a pen and it floats upwards, of course, like the law stands. It's what we observe. Right. And uh, but the thing is, Stephen Hawking brought up the point uh, there isn't, on the other hand, any reason why we should experience time itself an illusory concept that we impose on things. Uh, why we should experience time uh, in the manner that we do. So why shouldn't uh, our experience of a moment like dropping this pen, why shouldn't it be that we start from here with a pen going up? You know, like if you drop a glass and it shatters, why is it that we experience time as dropping the glass and it shatters rather Hmm. than the glass shattering backwards? Uh, Yeah, like unshattering itself. Cool. With a ghastly and oh, wonderful uh, idea, unshattering itself. I, so, I got to write that well, down. Well, That's like a well, song you're, title. You're, you're, you're actually going somewhere with this because time is 
like Einstein would say. I was writing this down, um, unshattering. <laughs> Every now and then I get lucky. Yeah. Sorry. Keep no, going. no, it's cool. Dude. We're, this is a laid back podcast. I don't, I don't care. And um, you know what's crazy is like Einstein revolutionized science because he figured out that everything is everything is uh is relative to gravity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to to mass. That I, I like. As far as mind blowing concepts go, that's one that kind of everyone does. That mean that is aware of. Now I'm, but I don't know. Still the mo- craziest be, one. I could be going crazy, but by saying this, but does that mean that if if things were sped up, like if let's say the sun was a little bit bigger and there's more gravitational pull, and the Earth moved faster around the Earth, would that mean time itself would speed up too? Our understanding of time, right? So, so for instance, we've observed this is the, okay. <laughs> this is good. Now, news. now we're down. The rabbit hole a little yes, bit. Yes, what I want. God do. help you all. Okay. <laughs> um, so, time is, uh, in the way I've heard it described by people like Stephen Hawking, time is not like a measurable force. Time is a byproduct of um, gravity. So, what does that mean? Uh, I'm just gonna grab this paper towel over here. Go ahead. Now. I'm stealing what I'm about to kind of demonstrate here from a movie called Event Horizon. Uh, anyone who's seen that movie, it's a classic horror movie. I will not summarize it at all, uh, but this is the be- coolest explanation. Uh, all right, so I'll, very simple little thing here, but when I saw this, it blew my mind, and that's when I had to like read everything I could find about it. So yes. we can picture this as space, okay? Um, picture this sheet as space. If you, uh, okay, let's take this here. Um, when you set an object on this, you can see that space kind of falls under a little bit, right? If I set a heavier object, it would, you know, create an even bigger, uh, bowl, right? The heavier the object, the more the curvature of space. Right. So, um... What that does, what that means is that if you were on Jupiter, uh, not, I'm not going to nail this, you know, but th- this okay. is the principle. If you were on Jupiter, which is a much heavier planet than Earth, uh, you know, an hour for you might be like a period of months, if not years, for us back on Earth. Wow. And even the ast- so the astronauts, you know, all, all wear like special kinds of watches that can function in a vacuum. Yeah. And... This is crazy. Like, even when they've been on the space station and they come back down after, like, months on the space station, uh, an astronaut's watch, which is synchronized to, like, the the nanosecond to the ones back at NASA. That's why they're special. Uh, Their astronaut watches that they're wearing in the space station for nine months are, like, three minutes faster. Wow. When they come back down. Wow. That's that little bit of Just travel. Just from that little bit of travel, that, wow. little, that little distance. Like, so that means that if somebody, if, if an alien, an alien society, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, was out in trillions of whatever, I don't know, one light year away, let's say, I don't know. Yeah, which is, which is, which is crazy far. Upon millions of miles. Which is crazy far. Yeah. If they can somehow have the technology to view us, would they be viewing us in the past? Would they look at us like, look at those Romans? Like, what would, what would they be looking at? Well, uh, they would be seeing a past image of us because, uh, for instance, the light hasn't reached them yet. All of the starlight that you're seeing right now, you know, depending on which star you're looking at, because you know, some of these are so 
monstrously huge and so far away. You're seeing light that's, you know, probably, you know, billions yeah. of years old, which, you know, you're seeing their prehistory. And the closer to the end of uh, the life of these stars gets, the brighter our night sky will be getting. Wow. So, you know, like once a lot of those stars have become black holes, which is just the most terrifying and wonderful concept in i mean oh uh yeah. but like this long is... after they become black holes like you're seeing like they're you know basically a recording of their deaths this is what i don't understand about and i'm not attacking religion at all right here i actually i actually love religion i think religion is great i think religion is a huge part of human uh just humans in general but i don't understand why religions are so scared of science they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. I'm not like, for instance, it's the most. It's, it's the most amazing thing was when you, the more you discover in the realm, especially when you go out in space, you start to see that this is something big happening. Something ridiculous is happening. So we're inside of it. We're part of it. Uh, so I'm uh, 36, and I'm at the point in my life where, like, I can unequivocally declare that uh, I. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ uh, for myself. I happen to believe that he's the son of the living God, that he rose from the dead after three days, all of it. The, uh, the, I, I believe it. My belief in this, um, like wasn't inculcated or, you know, beaten into me at all. Uh, it came after a long, long slog through everything I could get my, hands on this was like the one i didn't want to be true actually because you know this is a like, lot of people can say that yeah, yeah like and um but what solidified it um well what solidified my my absolute you know belief in a god uh is science like science i agree like science and 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 uh what i happen to believe you know the elements of my faith uh are like one informs the other. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, even yeah, when yeah, you yeah. like, it's a good point. Dude. So, so for instance, like, um, this idea that all Christians believe the Earth is only six thousand years old, and uh, you know, just like, that's the one that gets everybody. First of all, nowhere in you know it is 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 anything like a specific number stated. Uh, what's, fact, whatsoever, like in fact, at Peter all. in the Book of Peter, it says. A thousand years is like he doesn't say is. I'm the Lord. A, a thousand of, a days, a thousand a lot years. Of, a, thousand a lot of years a, a lot of Christians read the Bible literally. So they though a lot of Christians I know they think the world is six thousand years old. But they think that when I, when I when I bring up that verse to them, they'll say, "Yeah, a thousand years." It, they think they think that means a thousand years is equal to. It's called the day age but, theory. But, but here's what I'm here's my argument to them is like, the, our years are based off the sun and the earth. You think you think a, a, a God that created the universe based his days off our sun and our earth? There's no way. So when Peter wrote, when Peter was writing that a day is like a thousand years, he was saying that there is no exact equation to to translate each other. He's describing. He's it. just saying that our days are relative to us. No, well, he's saying that what that what he's, he's actually saying, making a scientific. What statement. he's saying is that time uh, for an infinite God is meaningless. Right. That's that's what he's saying. That's what I'm saying. So, like you know, so like, when you like, try to say the world is six thousand years old. And you try to point to that part of the Bible and say, well, look, everything else must be not real. Well, it's not totally like, you know, so the people, you know, with, well, how do you explain how old 
starlight is or how old this carbon dated rock well first of all carbon dating only really works very well with things that you know are less than millions of years old so first of all that doesn't even really stay it's really good for instance for dating like old old documents yeah so this is how we catch forgers and things like carbon dating yeah, it, was, it was good for, for the dead sea scrolls yeah exactly it's that's really what it's brilliant for you know it becomes uncertain like uh you know and then completely and totally unreliable yeah because uh, certain amount, certain amount of radioactive decay everything it blends in together yeah the, so after thousands of years it really, it's really just a guessing game. all i'm saying is that like nowhere in in the Bible is this really like it this? Doesn't, it doesn't say definitively that it's that like this doesn't affect. Is, yeah, it's this is. You know what that comes from? This it is unimportant. From, like and, it's and, not an and, issue. And here's the thing: I want to add to what you're saying. I agree with you on that. Sorry. <laughs> A lot of these people they take they take every word literally. So when they so what they do is they they do they take all the genealogy from Christ to Adam and they they add it up with their calculators. Nowhere in the Bible does it actually say. That this is the so and it's, that's where they come up with this six thousand year thing. It's actually the Catholic Church that started that, and I I I personally think feel like that was never meant to be done that way. Well, it wasn't. You know, a lot of, um, but but what one thing is, um, a lot of the Bible is meant to be literal, right? Uh, like, and certain parts are very clearly not meant to be literal. Like, for instance, a lot of the uh, elements of uh, the books of the major prophets. Uh, and, Isaiah and yeah, like Jer- you know Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Right. Th- those, those are the yeah. the big ones. Uh-huh. Ezekiel is just the the weirdest it's, book you know, in the Bible. Like it's like a kaleidoscope. It, it, it's it's almost like you're Ugh. reading an alien abduction story. That's because in chapter one, it's absolutely describing UFOs. He's absolutely, like, he's like, it's oh, this metallic UFOs. object like, came from the sky. And then, no, no, he talks like, about wheels within wheels, wheels with, with eyes on with them. eyes around the. He's, talk, he's describing a flying saucer. Yeah, because because back then, back then there was no. That wasn't even a part of your brain. Like you couldn't even concept. There was no way. Nobody even. Nobody could it. conceive of, so, of a flying object in the first place. So how are you going to describe a flying describe saucer, it. which you can barely conceive yeah. of now? So he's only describing it based off what he knows, and that's how that's how he described it the way he did. But here's my view on everything. I just want to throw this out there before I do one because I feel like this has to be established of what I believe. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a Gnostic. Okay, what a Gnostic is is the opposite of agnostic. Agnostics are people who don't know and don't even want to they have a general vague they're just like, like belief in, in knows, a power outside may, ourselves maybe but something's uncertain. real but i don't know i can't prove it a gnostic is somebody who takes scripture and says that this is part of the collective consciousness of humanity and these scriptures are put forth by the collective consciousness and they're they're really what they are describing is they're describing like like a lot, a lot of scripture is based off like what's called um, astrotheology. So you hear, you see, you see these recurring numbers: twelve, three, seven, forty. Yeah, you see all these recurring numbers, and it just happens to be the same amount of constellations in the sky, the same amount of planets in the sky. Three being water, earth, and sky, and you you realize that there's 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 different layers to these scriptures, right? That's why I call it the collective conscious, because the people that wrote these things, they might not even have known what they were even writing. It was almost like a dream, like Carl Jung calls these like calls this dream interpretation. Oh, I know. And he, Carl Jung's my favorite. He applies it to scripture, where these scriptures are basically like dream interpretations, and they're they're set forth and they're timeless. Well, they're it's it's they much evolve, of it is in a style, depending on what book you're talking about. But like if if you take a book like Ezekiel, um, who's who's 
see like prophetic bo- uh, books follow a very specific literary structure. There's an, an something called an inaugural vision, and that's like the first chapter describing what the prophet saw. Like he had like a vision communicated to him or an encounter, you know, of, of some kind. And they're always really powerful, overwhelming, horrifying things. So, for instance, in the book of Ezekiel, which is just the strangest and most horrifying and most beautiful, it's like reading a kaleidoscope. Yeah, I, I don't care what you believe. I mean, I do care. Well, you know, it's but just, like, it's just, what, it's just the, as a literary, like, regardless of what you believe, just as a literary piece, it's, a, it's ju- a if you're just like the it, the power of reading something like that is undeniable, and so. For instance, in chapter one, um, when described like Ezekiel has a particularly horrifying vision. He sees, you know, the sky burning, essentially, and and you know things coming out of the horizon. And then he describes a type of angel called the cherubim. Now we think of cherubs, of course, because of the nineteenth century. We think of cherubs as babies, little babies with harps, right? No, that's like, Catholic that, church. Yeah, this is what how cherubs are described. They're giants with six wings, two of which are designed to hide their four faces, four, a face of a man, lion, uh, a lion, an, a, ox. an ox, and an eagle. Yes. Yeah. Like, they're clear. I mean, like, I think of John Carpenter's The, the Thing, you yeah. know, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. Yep. In fact, the shirt is, uh, you know, from that movie, but... Like, and he describes them as that something they, they grotesque they and unintelligible. He describes them as they only go left, right, back, and forth. He's describing a type of movement that like can't defies our own physics, yeah. which is very similar, mind you. When you watch a UFO, it doesn't look like it's even really moving. Yeah, and it's like one of the declassified videos. See, because the greatest crime for me today, honestly, and I mean this, like UFOs and the Pentagon's confirmation of things like this, you know, declassified clearly objects that are not terrestrial. I'm not the one saying that that's like the CIA. Uh, you can read that. They've declassified millions of documents. I get fired up about this because it's like, this is people literally like lost their lives to try and get this stuff out there. And this is the single most important question uh, that we have, I'd say, besides issues of divinity and, and God. I'd say it's, are we alone in the freaking universe? You know, and if uh, apparently, unless they're trans-dimensional beings, which is what I happen to believe, um, it, if they're able to come visit us like this, or these are their drones or spirit projections, whatever, you know, if they are themselves angels, which I happen to believe, good and bad, you know, fallen and holy uh wouldn't wouldn't you want to like clearly their civilization is far more advanced than ours which means that they have a greater understanding of things than we do so shouldn't that i mean why are people why is this not front page news all the time yeah i guess that's the thing i'm trying to get out like right i don't understand it's like literally um like a farce or something. Okay, we declassified three videos of our our jets being chased or chasing a spaceship, yeah. and you can hear American pilots, the best in the world, the best in history. Yeah, you know, the greatest of all time. Um, Describe these stories. You can hear them on video. Yeah. You know, freaking but, out. Like but, U.S. pilots don't freak out. No. Like you're talking about the stone cold, uh, like the closest thing to Terminators. That you can get, uh, you know. Like, Do you know about Bob Lazar? Oh, 
So I'm almost insulted that you asked me if I know. Do you want to tell? You want to run down the Bob Lazar story? You run it down, and then I'll uh, chime uh, in. Because uh, I, I won't wanna, be able to figure. I out I don't mean to, start. to cut you off if you weren't done explaining what you were saying. No, I was just saying that that's the biggest outrage yeah. to me. Uh, you know, um, you'd think people would be more focused on this topic. Yeah, like the book I of agree. Ezekiel, like you know, for instance, is he starts describing wheels coming out of the sky, wheels within wheels made of burning bronze. I think it is, I think it is with yeah. rings of eyes around them now you just draw that draw you know because when you see a ufo it kind of spins like this yeah you know there's like an inner ufo that spins uh um you know it's like those gold uh, rings from sonic but with two of them yeah, spinning with eyeballs inside of them or just take you know like one part <laughs> yeah the outer that's edge what he UFO. wrote yeah that's what he wrote in the years was it 600 bc when ezekiel wrote his book 700 BC? 636 something like that yeah so it's like so you got this guy in in Babylon because that that book was written in Babylon. Yeah, the Jews after. were captives at this point. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Just before they ran back, Ezekiel wrote his book, all of which was predicted, by the way, in earlier books of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah. Yeah. If you read Isaiah, they the way they date back Isaiah to like 700 BC, and he describes Alexander the Great. Yes, he does yeah. perfectly. The eagle from the north. Yeah, he describes everything Alexander the Great's going to do. And Darius, too, before that. First, he talks about Darius. Then he talks about Alexander the Great. And, and it all happens. Cyrus, so the Jews, the Jews really do get validated a lot. Well, And also, this is like, you know, people are like, oh, well, they're just, you know, arbitrarily picking the Jews as the special one. Really? Well, then, uh, okay, explain the fact that, like, you tell me one other nation in the history of anything ever that has ceased to exist to you know the point where like literally uh there's a, a term comes into existence diaspora dispersing is then by i think every single empire true empire that has ever existed uh targeted by every empire you know for extermination to some degree all of them yeah. every single one of them you know like i think we are the only true empire right now that hasn't targeted the jews and uh here's the thing like describe one more nation that has been obliterated. It ceased to exist. It's people all over the earth. Every single empire has From 70 AD to yeah. 1946. Yeah, when Hebrew became a dead language. So here's... And now they have their... Now they have their it's not even that. Back. It's the... No, here's the thing. Like, describe one other nation that's been obliterated, you know, like in 70 AD. Titus, Titus, Titus Caesar. Uh, Titus, uh, you know, sacked uh, the... The, the entire sector and uh, took, destroy the temple, just like Jesus prophesied in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. And we exactly 30 the years jury's later. not out, by the way, on whether or not, um, you know, Jesus existed or anything. I mean, it's the lunatic fringe now that I mean, even atheists are embarrassed by well, those people like he existed. You know, what you believe there, about there's, him there's is, enough. You know, there's enough. Like, there's enough historical outside of the Bible. There's enough historical evidence to show that there was a human being, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. It's in Roman records that yeah. you know, the Nazarenes Ro caught you know Romans, in trouble. Romans wrote about it. The Babylonians Josephus wrote the about Babylonian it. Talmud wrote about Ye Yeshu, the Nazarene, who got hung by a tree because he was doing magic. They wrote about that. So there's enough to you can piece together. If you were in the, if you were in the court, if you were trying to prove in court if this person was real, beyond doubt he was real. Now now I'll I'll be honest with you, and I, I don't know how you might not like this, and a lot of people might like this. A lot of Christians might like this. There's outside of the Bible for evidence upon of evidence of people seeing him return from the dead. There's there's not one, a single reference until until about 65 A.D. So it's a 30 year gap 
between his supposed resurrection. Now, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me finish this. Let me finish this. All right. There's a there's a gap. There's, I'm saying like for as far as records that are outside of biblical, but oh, I know. but however, uh, where was I going with this? So sorry. So you can you can argue you can argue. Well, yeah, he was real. He he had a lot of big following. He was this religious reformer. He was a Jew that you know, turned a bunch of Jews into a different religion and new sect of Judaism, but he didn't come back from the dead. You can make that argument. And it's actually, there's actually, well, that, yeah, that's the big, solid it all hinges on that. That is the argument. That's the thing. That's what divides up a Christian from just a a historian. But the point I was trying to make was there's the the fact, just if you want to say that he didn't exist at all, you really haven't done your homework. That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. That's what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Like what a person believes about him. Like he's he's one of three things. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. Or he's he's the Lord. He's what he says he is. Right. Like he's one of those three things. That he existed at all. It's only people not like that was a movement. You know. Oh, Jesus is made up, and it, we have more evidence for the life and execution. Yeah. Of Christ, even the resurrection, because actually Josephus. Yeah, Josephus. Uh, was Josephus the first person. wrote. Uh, uh, he wrote he extensively also, about all the people who saw also, him after his resurrection. He also wrote that in past seventy A.D. So that's that's the third. But Christ was executed in A.D. thirty-three, so it wasn't that far away. A.D. thirty-three. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say. I said a forty-year. Did I say sixty-year gap? Yeah, I meant yeah. For about a forty-year gap. I'm sorry. Let me let me correct myself. It's about a forty-year gap. No, no. I said sixty-five. So yeah, which would be thirty. About thirty years. You got you got about a thirty-year gap from. His when he supposedly came back from the dead, and from somebody actually saying he came back from the dead. So not, that doesn't mean that there's something out there that got destroyed that we lost. They were writing papyrus back then. That's so, the thing. So there could have been there could have been documentation and people saying, "Oh, we found him. We saw him. We just saw him walking down the Dead Sea yesterday. He's back from the dead." There could have been that. But all I'm saying is, right now in 2021, nothing exists until about Josephus' time. Yeah, but I mean, I don't because uh, like, I had the book of Josephus. I I know exactly what you're referring to. There's a there's a chapter in the Josephus in the Jewish his, Jewish uh, history of the Jews antiquities where he actually writes around this time there was a man named J- Jesus. He was he had a big following. He if you want to call him a man, he's, this is what he says. He says he was a man. If you want to call him a man, he worked many wonders. Yeah, he many was, wonders. That he was so kid, cool. and, then, and then he writes. He, he was, was more than he was crucified and he was seen living three days later. He wrote that he was the his he this is the guy that went he was like the first actual wartime journalist. He yeah. he followed Titus as Titus was like well he fought slaughtering the, Jew. the Jews. He fought against the Romans and they when the Romans conquered him. He was one of they, it's actually kind of fucked up. There's there's this thing called the Josephus uh something. It's like, it's like this thing where they took all these. Jewish prisoners, and they didn't, they couldn't they didn't have enough resources to carry them all with them back to mm-hmm. back to Rome. They only could take a certain amount. So what they did, what they did was they put them all in a circle and made them kill each other. And then whoever lived would get to come back to Rome with them. Josephus was one of the survivors. Yeah, that's so Josephus like... gets taken back as a prisoner of the Romans. They carry back the menorah. <coughs> they carry back all the gold plates. Everything that existed inside Jerusalem is brought back to get. Robert Rome. It's this big glorious triumph from Titus Caesar, and they, they they take all these Jewish slaves and bring them back to Rome. And Josephus is lucky because he gets put into a a, a, cl- a class of scribes, where the Flavian dynasty wants to really tie. They want they want to make Jewish history a part of Roman history. 
So they force Josephus to make a Greek book of the history of the Jews. And that's where he wrote in about Jesus of Nazareth. So that right there, that's the thing that a lot of Christians point to and say, look, we got our proof. And that's not bad proof either. There's more than that, though. There's I, more. Like, a lot more. There's and we more. have more documentation uh, for the life, the miracle workings, the execution, and also re the resurrection, you know, as well. That something, like, at least his body was missing. Yeah. We have more evidence of that than we do for the existence of William Shakespeare and for yeah, the existence of Alexander the Great. And that's what I'm saying. To name just two. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, now, I love Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Okay, I'm like a huge Shakespeare guy. Like I can sit here and recite like Macbeth. In There's only entirety. one portrait of Shakespeare that exists. That's a real portrait of Shakespeare. All the other ones are people drawing their from their imagination what he what they think he looked like. He never really went out in public. There's actually no proof that he even he he could have been a fake. Uh, what do you call it? Like he, somebody, an alias. Like, he could have been a an alias. Name. Some people think that him and Francis Bacon were the same person. Yeah, it's people think he's he's either Francis Bacon or Thomas Marlowe, who's another very famous playwright. He wrote uh, in Shakespeare's time, probably the second most. Right. Or he was he had to have been a some kind of a noble because this is the big thing for you know these psychos that don't believe that he existed because it, you know the argument came and then the argument went with whether or not Shakespeare existed. Why is this important, by the way? A, he's the greatest writer in history, and B, he literally invented about 90% of our English. language yeah. that we're using right now. Right. And um, he had a big part in the King James Bible, too. He was part of the King's Men, the, the scribe class of the of King the, James Bible. It's like the King's Court. Reading Shakespeare. It's wonderful. During the time from 1604, the, the King James Bible, which is the most sold book of all time, by the way, the English King so. James Bible came out in 1611. From 1604 to 1611, there was a group of people called the Kingsmen, and they were they were responsible for making all these amazing plays like Macbeth, Julius Caesar, like putting them on. Caesar was Caesar was. Or, I'm sorry, Caesar. Um, Shakespeare was part of that Kingsmen crew. He was there in that court when all that went down. So you got to realize this. This is not. This is like he was so ahead of his time that even right now in 2021, people are. Aren't, People cannot catch up to how good people he was. don't like the idea that uh, th this person who was very clearly like a peasant, very clearly because this was a, the Elizabethan times. Like, yeah. literally, Elizabeth herself was sitting on the throne. Yeah, and uh, people don't like the idea that uh, a person who was not in uh, the royal or heir, heir uh, until sixteen aristocratic until sixteen yeah they don't like then the idea that uh, that somebody who was born like a lowly peasant could have that level of understanding about yeah, how royalty that's works. True. That's and true. it is odd, but at the same time, it's not really odd because Shakespeare based almost all of his work on this really old history book about the, you know, like the, the medieval history of Europe till yeah. that time. That's where he took like all of the stuff. Why is this super important? Well, because literally, you know, how thousands, if not millions of courses and I know book are taught about Shakespeare. You're referring to Beatty's Beatty's history, Exclesial history of the English people. Yeah, he talks about Julius. He talks I'm about, very proud of you. He talks about that. I know a lot of history. He talks about he starts off the history of England with Julius Caesar. Yeah, that he to, to to Shakespeare, England wasn't England until the Romans came, and then he said he thinks that the mix he thinks that the mix of the Germanic Celts and the Romans is what the English people are, which is a good point. Right. You know I mean? a sweet choice. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> you know, but you know what? I want to talk about this Bob Lazar thing, dude. Yeah, I I want to hear like you lead it off. Okay, Bob Lazar, back in the eighties, I believe, was working for um, 
what's the place over in Nevada? Area fifty one. Area fifty one. He's a scientist. He he's he's he he knows everything about elements. He's an elements guy. So yeah, I guess you can call him a modern day alchemist because that's what really alchemy came from. It's from mixing. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So Bob Lazar works for he works on um, crafts and he does he's he's a specialized government worker for Area fifty one. And one day a craft gets brought into Area fifty one and it's from unknown origin. It looks like a UFO. This is what he says. This is, this is his words, not mine. He looks like it looks like a UFO, like you would see in a, in a movie, like a like a like a, a flying saucer. His job was to reverse engineer this craft because the American government had no idea what it was, where it came from, how it even operated. Check this out. This, this is how mind blowing this is. <clears throat> Bob Lazar says that this craft had no electrical gear at all, not a battery, not a switch, yeah. all no had, circuits. Nothing. All it had to make it, this thing operate was an element. I can't think of the name. I should look it up. I really should. If you want to look up Bob Lazar element, it should pop right up. There was an element that was unknown to the chart at the time. It was a, a new element. Oh, what the hell is it called? Yeah. Element Hang something. On. Yeah, look it up real quick. I'll keep talking while you're looking it up. So he finds this new, they, they discover this element that powers the craft. And what it does is this thing can fly, can bend gravity to its will. So if you can bend gravity to your will, you can move in any direction you want, as fast as you want, up to the speed of light. Yeah. That's, so uh... this, this craft had the ability to fly at the speed of light without any electronics. So I think, I think the sun is the only thing it needed was to power it, was, was like a sun, was some sort of solar power. And I could be wrong about that, too. Maybe They're not they, even sure but that, that they understand they got the it type of energy. Bob that, Lazar you know, says they got it to fly, and people died during the experiment. Because this this element was so deadly. What also because people yeah. would go near this element and die. It was like the Ark of the Covenant, the, like the way they explain the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible. How it could be radiation. People too. people said they went near the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, you're not allowed and to died. touch the Ark of the Covenant because of right. the, uh, the holiness of God. Well, the funny part about it is that that's why I wanted to go jump to Bob Lazar because Bob Lazar says that this element that they found, if you touched it or dealt with it, you were dead within a couple of days. That's what Bob Lazar was saying on Joe Rogan. People were dying, and it was getting swept under the rug. It was never did, that, did, did I miss people, this part of it? I must have missed this part of it. Well, how the hell did I miss that? There's an element. Okay. I, I, that's what I'm trying to find the name of the element. Okay. Uh, Bob was our element. And people were dying that were touching and dealing with this element, or getting cancer, or dying young. People like 20 years later would be dead from cancer who worked with him. I don't know why people find it, you know, at all unbelievable, um, you know, that stories like this aren't the absolute truth. I mean, for heaven's sake, well, Area 51 is the most classified, like when you think of classified, you think of two things normally. Fort Knox and Area 51. People, that's what I'm saying. People, would you find the element, by the way? Uh, I got the Bob Lazar thing. I just, so people, uh, right away, when he... Wanna... Recently, evidence suggests a UFO whistleblower Bob Lazar was telling the truth all along. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so I want to mm-hmm. talk about that real quick. Immediately when he went on Joe Rogan, immediately... The the Twitter mob was like he's a liar. Yeah, it's because it's scary. It's fake. There's it's no way this scary. is real. Joe Rogan's just trying to get views. All that came out there, but then all these independent fact checkers and all these there's there's people who actually for a living they watch people's body language and see if they're lying. There's like ten of them on YouTube that that all of them said that Bob Lazar was telling the truth. Well, what about um uh what's his name uh, Travis uh. Oh my gosh! I can't. Believe, I'm. I'm. I'm like ashamed. The, the movie Fire in the Sky was about this guy, the Travis Walton. Okay. Uh, the who was disappeared with a crew. Uh, he was with a crew of loggers, 
1976. This was like world famous. I'm sure most of you have heard of this. You know, it's a world famous story. They made a movie about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 1976. This uh, logging crew is coming back um, from their site and remarks that they see what they think is a fire in the forest. And so they go to investigate it. And Travis Walton, who's, you know, early 20s, I think, at the time, goes right up to it. And they see that it's a freaking flying saucer. And they watch as uh tr- they're begging travis to come back but he's, of course he's mesmerized i can't even imagine Ugh. Ugh. wow what a thought Crazy. and he anyways he gets knocked backwards like 20 feet in the area when this thing shines a beam on him and then it he disappears and the ufo disappears and so they go back traumatized you know they race into town and report what happened nobody believes them of course but travis is gone he has just disappeared Huge investigation. By now, the world news has figured this out, and now they're converging on this little town. Anyway, uh, Travis returns five days later, traumatized and naked and dehydrated and with, like, you know, um, you know, like, too heavy of a beard, you know, and... and um, like, he was gone for a while. Yeah, like, he he didn't know, like, 100-something miles away. And, uh, and they administer lie detector tests to all... <laughs> All, like, what, I think there's six or seven, you know, like, woodsmen, like, loggers, all of whom passed. One was inconclusive, but that's because he was being combative and he didn't like the uh, police at all. And all of them. Travis himself passed multiple ones. There was one that I think, you know, recently on this game show that he failed, but then the game show was taken off the air when it was shown that, uh, um, you know you have an 80% chance of failing that when you're telling the truth, that particular one. Wow. The point is this, that's, you know, it takes more faith to believe that seven grown men have trained themselves randomly to fabricate a story about abductions wow. and, you know, causing, you know, attention on their town and their life and um, their families. And then has somehow con- trained themselves to beat a polygraph test all seven of these guys uh about this abduction it takes more faith to believe that nonsense than it does to believe you know what uh this is a universe that is unfathomably huge yeah uh and you know every time you know we learn uh, an answer to a long-standing question the only thing that we've done is open about 8 billion other doors yeah. uh, to, you know, to more questions. Right. It'll never stop. It'll and never stop. The more we understand about the universe, the less we understand about the universe. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, it, that, that's not, not an opinion. That's just true. Anybody will tell you that. Yeah. Um, the point, like, it doesn't, I don't know why it's so difficult. Well, actually, I do. I think it's difficult because this is a horrifying thing to think about. Right. Horrifying. I mean, like, the idea that these are benevolent, you know, really great creatures or anything like that. Think about what's described in every abduction story. You are paralyzed and taken against your will in the dead of night. Whether, you know, you're, how can beings that have cracked the interdimensional travel code, you know, that secret, how, how is it that they still need to cut human beings apart, you know, you know, to yeah, figure out how they work? Something strange about that. Or maybe it's like sadism and these things are like fallen spirits. Do you know what I, you know what another theory is? Yeah. DMT. So there's the idea that these abduction stories are really what's happening. Government and, um, or that's possible. Maybe that, that. but also, so we know, we now know that DMT exists in all life. 
pineal it, gland, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's produced by the pineal gland. Causes you to dream. That's what. That's what. That's what. Dream comes from DMT releasing in your head. That's what dreams are. Um. So, so, it's, so people have theorized that these abduction stories are some sort of like extra amount of DMT being pumped into someone's head while they're sleeping, where they 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 had these insane dreams. Where they actually think that they're being abducted by some sort of being because they're on this extremely intense DMT trip and they wake up and they think they've really happened. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it does bring me to the next topic is that when the, the thing about DMT is this, it, 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 it sort of forces you to, re, to recognize that everything that you're experiencing is in your head and it's all kind of mental in a way because your brain is what's producing your consciousness. It's through a, a perception, a perceptive lens. So th- that, that's the thing is that is all if all life has DMT somehow, it, it, so even plants, even a blade of grass has DMT in it. Is DMT everything? Is DMT all consciousness? And is is consuming extra DMT give you like a? It's, is it like is reality a pond, an un an un a pond that hasn't never been touched? It's like we're completely flat with no no ripples. And by taking DMT is what you're doing is you're t- tapping your finger onto the pond and making everything oh, shake. Oh, ripples. And you're seeing reality bend a little bit because you you're imbalancing your DMT amount. So now you're everything's off. That's a theory that's been thrown around, and it kind of makes a little bit of sense, dude. Because okay, even if you do believe in God, you think everything is just creation by God, right? And I find it unfathomable and, that there's not a God. Yeah, and like the like Islam will say maktub, which means destiny, which means that God creates all of linear time. It means everything's planned. There's only very little bit of free will, but you choose the will or you can re- reject the will. You, you have you have free will within 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 a certain plane. So yeah, within that, parameters. I like that. Yeah, so that that's 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 Islamic. That's also Christian. You're not it's free also, will in a chess game, but you gotta abide by the rules. Yeah, so that's you know, so, you're, not, you're not playing chess anymore if you don't. So there's that theory, and that's like DMT is like this, like sort of like it, it just 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 by doing it or even experiencing it or studying it, you you see that all of this consciousness has some sort of source backed up somewhere. Oh, and then the that, simulation you're talking, and that about. brings us back to the simulation theory. Okay. Um, is DMT some sort of psychoactive? Uh, so here's what I think about this. Like for what this for a while, I. I it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe about two months ago <clears throat> that I, I bothered with this issue at all. Because at first I thought it was, I, I was like this, of of all the psycho things, like now, you know, to avoid there being a god. Like, right. I misunderstood, I mistook what the, you know, at least the, what I consider to be the more rational side of the belief was really saying. And essentially, as I understand it, Elon Musk described it pretty well. Yeah, as he always does. Yeah, okay. um, and you know, but essentially, you know, you know, it's something akin to the Matrix. Whether or not it's a malevolent reason, like the, you know, the Matrix, like you know, we're being used as batteries. Who knows about any of that? Who knows if it's a simulation? But basically, that we're plugged into some kind of like collective, on massive multiplayer online RPG. Well, here's the thing: as fascinating as that is, like I myself involuntarily as a christian you know it's like oh that can't be true and then i thought well why not how would this affect my understanding like if if that were true that would here here's what that would mean for me that uh that the lord is the programmer 
that would not affect my belief whatsoever. The only thing for me, and I've just, you know, the past couple of months, I've really kind of been getting in touch with this. I've had a little bit of a battle since I had COVID and everything. It was like the first thing I, I would say really, for whatever reason, shook my faith, you know, to the point where I, I you know, I was starting to be preoccupied with uncomfortable questions for me. Yeah. <clears throat> but then it was all reaffirmed, uh, you know, in a variety of ways, concrete ways. And for me, even if this is, you know, a simulation, you know, there are always arguments for and against that wouldn't affect my beliefs whatsoever. It wouldn't contradict a thing. Uh, the age of the earth, either way, like, you know, whether it's, you know, billions, billions of years old right. uh, or 6,000, you know what? Like that has no bearing whatsoever. on my. In fact, the order of things described in the creation record um, conform exactly to the fossil record. Exactly. That is the exact. Well, you know what else is interesting is that the, the spoken word, the spoken word. Okay. We talk about the word as being like this, like aspect of god itself this god. the vibration the frequency that makes all this god exist that he's his word bre uh, put bre breath in your lungs right yes so now if you take that and run with it this is what you get it, the right the written language the alphabet the beginning of the alphabet coincides with this that six thousand year date hmm. which is a, kind of mind-blowing because it's like in the beginning was the word boom it's dated right there well at the beginning of civilization as we know it you know it was probably around that time yeah no that's uh, what i'm saying like, right around 4000 bc the sumerians really all of a sudden there's an explosion of intellect where yeah, you be, where, where humans up. let's 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 uh, let's yeah, go with thing. the let's go with the scientific approach that the world's billions of years old right so for billions of years it's all just like kind of just everything's just like a uh, a program or all animals are just instinct even even apes right but all of a sudden 4000 bc Right around the time when the Bible says the world started, right? Well, all of a sudden, that of people some... say that it. it That's it what says I, I know. That. So let me let yeah. me let me get this. Right around four thousand BC, there's all of a sudden there's this explosion of civilization, of written records and uh, alphabets, and and there's government. All of a sudden, there's all these metal making uh, technologies. All came at the same exact time. It blew up. I don't know. And historians archaeologists anthropologists they all say the same thing it's like there's like this explosion happened where there's no lead up where humans went from hunter gatherers living in huts and under trees to metropolitan beings in caves yeah to all of a sudden having literally having pyramids being built towers being built all of a sudden out of nowhere yeah so roughly seven thousand years so that's what that, ago we were there to iphones so that's and what space travel and that's and and that brings me to my next thing is like Ugh, Pe people thought. take the people take scripture, not just the Bible, even the Vedas or the Upanishadas or whatever whatever scripture you want to take <clears throat> you think is the Word of God, right? How much of this allegorical aspect of it? People want to take these things so literal, but it it almost helps your case to prove your religion more to think maybe it's more allegorical than we think. Because and here's here's my point about that is like. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to give out my personal view on what happens when, what's going to happen to all of us when we die. This mm -hmm. is what I think. I think that these books like Revelation and, you know, the the Vedic, uh, describing the end times. I think it's all. I think that what 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 what's happening is the the collective consciousness is bringing forth an allegory, of 
space-time. So that these, they're really, really what they're talking about is they're talking about the universe. They're not talking about humans exactly. Big crunch. Exactly. What, I'm, what they're talking about is here's what I think is going to happen. Now, I'm about to get trippy right now. This is what I think happens. I think after we die, you're gone. You are no longer, you are asleep with no dreams. You are done. You are not in existence any longer. You rest until the moment. What do they call it? Singularity when all... Ah, the, well, there are a couple singularities. Yeah, the the technological singularity. Right. So, like... so eventually, the universe is going to eat itself up. <coughs> yeah. So, a black hole is going to take. That has a singularity. There's going to be a, one <laughs> black hole. Eventually, one black hole will be the universe. But after that event, on the outside of that, on in the other side of that black hole, is when consciousness will become matter. So, you're everything you're experiencing right now, the way your life, the way you grow as a person. The, the person you are, the, 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 the older you get, the wiser you get, you grow it. You're like a, you're like this being that is going to be reviewed, maybe judged, maybe brought back forth. And that's when I think that all life is going to wake up at the same exact time. It's not like, it's not like people are waiting for us in heaven. I don't think that. I think that we're all, it's going to be a moment where everything is just brought back to life. And and that moment is indescribable. It's not going to be like this matter that we're living in. This it's just going to be completely spiritual. I get scared about. Uh, it's really really crazy concept to think about. Like, because then you because you want to know why I think I get that? scared about like you know the uh, you know hearing about like you know death experiences and stuff but like you, that. Like, do you know, I, know I find I that very that? like frightening. And do I know why I think that though? Because why? time, time being relative, means that time is infinite. So right now, the moment that we're living in right now, you and I sitting here, is infinitely happening forever. It can't be taken away. It happened. It oh, happened. I see. It exists in our there consciousness. There is no actual past. It's just like for some reason we can't so, access this frame of so, you know the the, the right. video. And my point is the point I'm trying to make is the simulation, the creator of the simulation, is is able to take consciousness that existed at some point and bring it back. Reintegrate it at his will, and that's what I think that these allegories of the Judgment Day and the end and the and well, to and, a degree, and, that's described in the Bible, and exactly. that's what I'm saying. The being risen up, they talk about yeah. Re- Revelation talks about and sea uh, shall give up Re- her dead. Revelation talks about a moment in time where everybody's brought back up at once. Revelation never says that people are in heaven waiting for you. Revelation actually says that. There's going to be a time where everybody's going to be brought back from the dead at the same exact time. It, it's it, Revelation also. It, some of these things, I'm glad that you're talking oh. about this because some of the things, it, like I feel very. This is a fairly new thing that I've been Let's contemplating. Gnostics, like, Gnostics, we, we, we what we do is we take scripture and we fill in the blanks with science, and we we don't we're not scared of science. We embrace science. But we take a scripture, and if something in scripture doesn't make sense scientifically, then it's an allegory. Then that means the human, the, the, the collective consciousness brought that forth for some reason. So it's there for a reason. The collective consciousness. The collective consciousness. What do you mean by the collective consciousness? It means that we all, we're all kind of connected. Like, okay, so collective consciousness. Let me explain. A good movie comes out, and it's the biggest hit of the year, and everyone loves this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, whoever that, whoever wrote that movie, they they struck a chord with the collective consciousness. For, oh, the zeitgeist. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the feeling Bible, of the times. The Bible or the the Vedas, whatever scripture, Eastern and Western, okay. you're looking at some is like the the biggest, this the highest up of that 
of that um, ideas brought forth by the collective conscious. That's why the Bible existed so long. That's why it's still being read today. Because something about it, these prophets like Isaiah, they, they figured out, they meditated deeply, and they really, they didn't just scribble down words. They really they encountered dug, God. They dug deep into themselves and brought forth out of, out of the universe the collective consciousness that struck a chord with every, every, every human that read it. Yes, uh, because every human being who's ever lived um, ha- is dramatically affected when they encounter something uh, that is the absolute truth. Yeah, <laughs> and I I'm not going to back down about that because that was a very hard fought thing and still is for me. And even like, I yeah. rigorously examine every single one of these beliefs. I can't help myself, you know. I, I I I wish that I could, but like literally, my own beliefs are under a self initiated constant attack. Like I'm always yeah. attacking my own to to fortify it. Not because I'm so wonderful and wise, but because I have a lot of anxiety. That, that's and I what get Nietzsche, a lot of anxiety about this. That's what this. Nietzsche would tell his... The Bible also said it. It said, be a Berean. Uh, what that, the Bereans were like the original skeptical inquirers. Yeah. Like, well, they, they were the original pen and teller. Well, and, Nietzsche, you know... Nietzsche and Young both would, would say that if you have a belief or an idea, that what you should do, what you should do is you should throw as many darts at that belief as possible and see where it stands. I after. seek out the best darts. I mean, like, I... I you shouldn't just I can quote this. you parts of the God delusion and it's everything that, you know, is 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 ridiculous. But why do I read that? Because Richard Dawkins is, you know, a brilliant mind. And uh, and also, how dare I have the arrogance to, ta- you know, assail the you know belief system of, of atheists. Uh, and I, I don't believe this nonsense about how the rules are OK for me to flip for a while because they've been oppressing me. So I'm allowed to get back at them. No, like. I can't attack something that I, I don't know about, that I'm not informed about. So it's important to read the best from the best minds. Right. Because otherwise, what the hell is the point of believing or doing any of this? It's Nothing. Just, well, like, that's what I'm saying. People just seek validation for their beliefs. Nobody actually tries to find truth. Like, truth is mo- horrible. Most people, especially religious people, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular, they don't care about anything that challenges their belief. They just want validation. They only want to hear about Josephus wrote about Jesus. So that must be true. But any, but Pliny the Elder didn't write about him, so Pliny the Elder must have been satanic. Yeah, oh, he must yeah. he must have hated the Christians. That shit goes that's, on in both sides. And that's and that's, that's what, what I'm getting at. Me. That's what I'm getting at. It's like people shouldn't be scared to just to have challenge, a dialogue. Yeah, challenge challenge your belief a little bit. I'm not telling you to 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 drop your your values and beliefs, but like strengthen your values and beliefs like, if they're worth strengthening at all. And how do we figure that out? We test them. Yeah, exactly. We throw as many darts at it as possible and see where it stands after it's all said and done. See what's parts of, of, of it sticks to, like, which logic? The logos, okay? So that's there's another thing about being a Gnostic. Gnosticism, Gnosticism is actually the earliest form of Christianity. Some would argue that the Gnostics were the ones that broke off from, from Judaism. The, the the Hellenic Greeks. There are uh, uh, like there's Gnosticism. I think like sort of. An, I mean, there are even quantum Gnosticists. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like a thing. Well, here's so the thing. Here's it's like, like a, it's like mystical too. Like there's yeah. a lot of, and I'm not mocking it. I think because you know what, there's a lot of Christianity that. Well, it goes back to the time of Christ. The problem, yeah, exactly. And and the problem that I have with so-called Christian culture, which as far as I'm concerned is a ghetto uh, these days. Like the problem I have with it is. Um, I am worshiping a God that is not, that exists outside of every parameter that we experience and even have any imagining of because he created them. And so who created God is a dumb 
philosophical argument. It's provably dumb. It makes no sense. Nobody created God. Why is that? Because God is the point at which the laws of physics and time and gravity as we understand them break down yeah, because he created them. It's the source of all life, so source a, of everything. If you're going to be an atheist, like that is an asinine, stupid argument. Yeah, I believe that too. And furthermore, if you're going to attack Christianity, this I have to say, because I've, I've, I've heard a few times now, and I did want to address it. I've heard the... You know, the old attack, uh, it's an important one, too. You know, like this, uh, the, the history of how the Bible, you know, came to be in the form of, you, you know, what, what as we read it right now. Like, how did that happen? Translation and things like that. And, of course, I always hear it from the lazy atheists. I'm not saying all atheists are lazy by at, at all, but, like, this is a, a lazy argument. And they've got some some considerably good ones that are important. Yeah. Anyways, the argument, of course, is that, you know, it was all a big Catholic conspiracy, and they'll start throwing around, well, at the Council of Nicaea, with this, at the Council of Nicaea, what? Like, we know exactly how the Bible is translated, because it's one of the miracles of history. And one of the, what, I'm, what do I mean by that? It's literally, as far as mankind's intellect goes, what they did to ensure its um, fidelity. To yeah. its original sources was not it was almost miraculous for instance you could be the copyists for every single uh book of uh the bible if they made so much as three mistakes forgot to dot the equivalent of an i for instance or or you know, forgot to cross the equivalent of a t they would not only be taken off the project and that manuscript would be thrown away, they had to burn yeah. the manuscript. Yeah, the Masoretic text is perfectly exact to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, which is. is miraculous. It is. Okay, because everything that we understand about you know us communicating things downwards you know, to us now is like a game of telephone. Can I just, can I just jump in for a second? So to, 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 to piggyback on what you just said, people always ask, how do you know the scriptures that you read today are exactly the same it's as the question? It is. And, and so Easy that, that, that question got answered in the early 1900s Dang. when they when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. They find these carbon-14 dated to the first century B.C., not A.D. Original copies of our Bible. First century B.C., Isaiah Scrolls, Ezekiel Scrolls, every single book was exactly the same exactly. word for word as what you're seeing in the Hebrew Bible That's, It's thousands of years old. Yeah. Okay, so like it hasn't been changed at all, and that's yeah, crazy. You can't get around that. Yeah. All right. So if you still want but to check this out, like now as a Gnostic, we so the Gnostic Gospels got taken. You mentioned the Council of Nicaea, and mm -hmm. yes. it's it's a big deal because they did. Oh, they, it's a huge They decided deal. what yeah. books were canon and what books weren't. Well, all these Gnostic Gospels got tossed in the garbage because. A lot of them didn't really promote like an idea of a church or be depending on a church to be. For example, the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas is all it is is Thomas, who's Didymus, which means twin, wrote down the sayings of Jesus, what he heard him say with his own ears, and he wrote them down. It's just it's not it's not like a book where it's a story. It's just saying. It's like a collection of proverbs. So if you actually yeah exactly it's just like proverbs. If you actually read it, you'll see you'll be like a lot of this stuff sounds like Vedic. Sounds like Eastern, where he talks about the kingdom of God being within you, and and it's sure enough, when you dig into the history, Thomas was assigned when it's, when the twelve apostles were assigned to leave and go across the planet. Thomas was specifically assigned to go to India. Yeah, it was beautiful. I love it. So I love it, it. it's almost like love. It's almost like he knew he wanted to strike the 
the collective conscious of the Indian people was Thomas. Yeah. Because Thomas had all these Vedic He shot through a beautiful Indian lens. So he sent it's him out there beautiful. to it. The gospel of Matthew was supposed to be to the Jews. It has all these Jewish aspects. talks about the Messiah. It talks the about the beauty of it all, yeah. Every, is that it's influenced these, by what colors their life. That's why I believe the, the Gnostics are onto something, because the Gnostics understand that there's different perspectives in the world, and there's that the, the, the collective consciousness is deeper than just what the Council of Nicaea wants to put it. That's why, the, that's why I kind of reject the idea of the Scripture being pure and perfect, and you can't challenge it, or it's, it's all literal. That's why I personally challenge that idea. I look at it more of allegorical. Yeah, for instance, like, I've I've recently reconsidered this, uh, um, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't bother me if, for instance, you know, the creation uh, account in Genesis was like a heavily allegorized yeah. you know, thing. For instance, does for me, does it necessarily have to be a real tree and an actual apple? No, that eat? no, I, it doesn't. Like my understanding of this is just as well. You're talking about something that was the author deliberately kept in kind of like well, an allegorical haze. Maybe it was things he couldn't describe because, you know, he's talking about like a, a primeval version of reality that we have no understanding and of. And you know what? This Back in the day, like if you go back to like ancient Babylon, before the Jews were even people, if, if, the, if Genesis really was spoken by word of mouth up until the time of Moses, the, the serpent was, was regarded as uh, allegory of the lower self, the, the fleshly also self. the wisest. So the fact that the yes, the fact that the serpent was that. I mean, and most so beautiful. if you read if you read Genesis one through five, as literally it literally happened, and we're somebody was there writing down notes. Like if you really think that it's true, what you're left with is the Earth is flat because it's, it says that there's four corners of the Earth. It says that it yeah, says that the. I know, I know, I know. No, I'm, no, not, I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying that if you if that, you though. if you refuse to. to to actually say that there's layers to this thing. It will say that there's there's a light for the day and a light for the night. We know that's not true. We know that the moon reflects off the sun. That's where the light comes from. So it's like, you can't Well, that's too, insane. All I'm saying... That's like insane all, literal. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying... It, I'm not trying to debunk the Bible. All I'm saying is, if you refuse... If all you can... If you can only look at it literally, and that's the way you're going to try to preach to people, people are not going to hear it. Because you have to... You have to I, I think... The best way to go about it is you have to take it as as much allegory as as, as it is literal. Yeah, I think they like, literally half and half. Now, of course, the Bible is a collection of sixty six books written uh, by everybody from the richest kings in existence to the poorest slaves who ever lived. Yeah, uh, over a period of thousands of years, from people uh, from you know every country inhabited at that time, everyone and the unity. Of it but all. That's why I'm saying it's the collective. It's not a conspiracy. We know exactly how the Bible was translated. But that's why Get a new argument. But that's why I'm saying the collective consciousness. This wasn't written by one person. Yes, yeah, this, this is the this is the minds of hundreds of people. That's interesting. What you just said, actually. Yeah. You know what? I don't know, think about that. But no, uh, hang on. Say that again. Uh, like I, I, you, you put it in such a way. The collective. Okay. So the Bible being the biggest example of the collective consciousness of humanity is that the fact that. First of all, it was orally passed down from the Babylonians to the Egyptians into the, the Jewish nation. Right away, right away, you're thinking this is bigger than one person or one group of people. It's worldwide. And then you think of the, all these scribes and Ezra, Nehemiah, all these Jewish scribes that put together this Bible. They stitched together the, the Elohist, 
the Jawists, the priestly class, all these different parts of the Bible get pushed together into one thing. That is the definition of a collective consciousness. And that's what it is. It's a book by mankind about the history of mankind, about where we're going, about who we are. Like a Wikipedia almost. Yeah, and that's why I think... That, oh, that's cool. That's okay. why, that's why, I like that. That's why I try... And I'm, I don't try... I understand. To, I, I, don't, I misunderstood you. I don't try, yeah, I don't try to debunk it. I try to make it more... Make, make sense more. See, I do try to debunk it. And I, this is what I believe, and I, and this is like I think why I live with a. I'm being really serious right now. Like, I, <laughs> I live with a huge amount of like anxiety. Yeah, I, it's just I. It's it's almost like I don't know how to live like you know without having like you know Welcome. some some looming sort of. Welcome to being an addict. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. And amen. And um, I think maybe a big part of that is because I literally assault my own belief system. Like assault it. Like I, I don't, you know, wear gloves with it. Like I take a butcher knife. I, I, I I don't fight fair with myself. No, me neither. And And that's why, that's why I, I'll say this right now. But it's battle tested. I'll say this right now. I used to do is I used to help out a church with what I'm doing right now. That's where I learned a lot of this stuff actually. And I couldn't, I couldn't hang with them because I am the type of person where I'm challenging everything you say to me. I'm going to go home. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to see if it's true. And turns out a lot of this stuff is like, okay, you might, you're kind of pushing on this one a little bit. It's not true by and the I, understandings and, 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 that we find ourselves believing and have no idea why we're like, yeah. I, like I, I remember asking myself recently, I was like, where did this come from? You know, this abhorrence that something like evolution couldn't have at least taken place in this, you know, localized system. Where did my horror of that actually come from? Like, yeah. I don't remember reading that anywhere. I don't actually like, you know, what my parents believe about this. They, they never abused it into me, right. you know? Um, and it, I was like, I don't know where the hell it came. I, I just kind of always thought it. I was like, it's nowhere in the Bible. Well, Jordan Peterson talks about how it's the, the Bible, the scriptures, the Bible being the West, they be in the East over time. When you're taught, when these things are taught in, in schools in churches for thousands of years, from generation to generation to generation to generation, eventually they become part of the human psyche. So oh, you're yeah. born, people in the West are born with Christian morals the day they're born, immediately. Yeah, right it's because our entire culture, whether you like it or not, is founded yeah. on like a not. Christianized version, for better and worse. Do you want to know what I told, I told my, my friend who's a Christian this a couple weeks ago, and he did not like this at all, but I, I, I'll say it again. Christianity is, the, is responsible for the liberal mindset. Yes, it is. So, because I'll give you an example. It is. Judaism was very right wing. You follow the Mosaic Law. You, there's there's two hundred thirteen laws. You follow them. You don't. If you, if you get one of them wrong, you sin, and now you have to repent. All this stuff, Offer right? A burnt sacrifice. Here comes this Messiah. He says, "You guys are never going to follow that he law." Raises the bar so high that nobody yeah. can. See, and back then, you you could not murder somebody. So he, you could not like cheat. On, and they with hate. Somebody. They hate like, saying that. They hate the thing. They, they Jesus made Jesus the bar so high you couldn't well, ever do well, it. They'll be like, you, you can't say Jesus was a liberal. How could you say that? Well, in a way, he really was. Jesus was a revolutionary. Revolutionary. Jesus did not Dude, care what the, you thought fact that about he, anything. The fact that he would go up to an adulteress who was about to be stoned. Yeah. When women were treated like cattle back then, by the way. Okay, the Jesus. Liberal, the people who want to knock, it's you know. probably the most liberal thing of all time. Yeah, and what does he do? He, without a word... And by the way, the first account of Jesus' ministry happens to be him being already acknowledged as master 
Okay, like he was already Jesus Christ superstar, you know, uh, for instance, which is basically the gospel according to Judas, which is why I love it. Um, You're a little bit of a Gnostic yourself. I can see that. I just don't limit uh, the God who is limitless. Right. You know, for heaven's and so the greater my understanding, my whole entire worldview. Like you just explained. This is a this is the God of black holes that are the 66 billion times the size of our sun. Yeah. So like why that's a concept that is so far beyond unfathomable that there's not even a word for it. it. And that's in that's one out of, you know, trillions of galaxies, which are comprised of trillions of solar systems. Wow. Uh, you, you know, like just to give I love that scene at the end of Men in Black, the very end, you know, like when it shows our planet and it zooms out, shows our universe. Then it shows the in, how it's like the inside of a marble yeah. that another <laughs> kind of, you know, unfathomable alien race. It just shows you how that gave me an idea of like how like what kind of a god would it be worship worth worshiping by the way if we had any understanding of all these things why then would he be beyond us like now people will say that that's an intellectual cop-out bullshit that's intellectually humble it's intellectually humble when you say you know what i don't understand this and the reason that I, i don't understand this with all the creativity and ingenuity imbued into humankind it's probably not just because we're still in some kind of a intellectual stone age i don't think so it's really because um god is just that enormous and uh we are not entitled to anything we take our whether or not a person believes in something the truth by its own nature is absolute the relative truth is is an erroneous logical thing like there's the truth and then there's your understanding and reaction to the truth that is relative it doesn't affect the structural integrity of the truth and the truth is always, therefore, terrifying because it's so impersonal and indifferent. It doesn't care about you. you know it what? doesn't. It's just and except for it does care about you when you happen to believe and have faith in Jesus. Who, who Jesus was not hazy about what he believed, by the way. People have this idea of the European Jesus, which is nonsense and blasphemous. Jesus was a burly, big guy. He was a carpenter. He, like he was a highly skilled, uh, you know, craftsman. Uh, because that was a master apprentice um, endeavor back then. He wasn't especially good looking, which is part of a prophecy, by the way, you can read in Jeremiah. But the thing about Jesus that really, like he, he wasn't a hippie and he was very black and white. So for instance, Oh yeah, everything's totally cool. You know, society of Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus directly said, um, you better be ready to give up everything and grit your teeth. If you're going to follow me, he also was very clear about, you know, his mission and what in himself he wasn't like he, he wasn't um undecided on this so when he says i am the way the truth and the life uh no one comes to the father except through me that's not an allegory that's pretty clearly meant to be taken exactly what it is people have a hard time with that because that's a very stark thing yeah. and and this idea that it's christianity should be reconciled to or conform with the world is antithetical. Jesus said the world, uh, when the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Uh, And it did, you know, and why did it? Because not because, you know, it's a big, they can't all be true. And I know that's disturbing. And I wish to God that I could say universalism was true. It would be so much easier to say that. But like I arrived at, you know, the belief that I'm still attacking the structural integrity of to make sure it holds up. If I'm going to give my life to it, it's pretty important. Why am I saying all this? Because 
all you have to do is just open the Bible and, you know, um, you'll be captivated. You know, wh- wh- I mean, it's, it survived it's, all this time for a reason. It's and, another le- level of literary. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, I'm glad we are talking about the allegorical nature of, you know, big aspects of the Bible. It's pretty clear contextually, like which book or which section or paragraph is meant to be taken as an allegory and which is meant to be taken, yeah. you know, quite literally. And I used to be a cherry picker, you know, like it, it's just like, just because, you know, I have a hard time. Like, I don't know why it is the way it is. Like, I don't understand, you know, the big questions like, well, if God's all powerful, then why does he allow this to happen? I don't know. And the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, is literally one genius meditation on the nature of why do bad things happen to good people? Why the most philosophical book ever made. Every argument that people come up with, you know, about this was given in the book of Job already. Like, and I love the part where he, he looks at God and he's like, you know what? He's like, Everywhere I am at all times, when I sleep, when I wake up, in my most private moments, you're always watching. And he gives you the level of horror because we've all kind of thought about how almost creepy and voyeuristic the concept that is. And what does Job say? The man who is described as a a righteous servant of God. He looks at God in in frustration. By now, his life has been obliterated. He lost everything. Everything. His family, his riches. Like in one moment, he's afflicted with boils. His friends who are supposed to be comforting him and instead are saying, what did you do wrong, Job? Right. What is it? Confess up. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. And it's true. It was because Satan challenged uh, God. He said, uh, God, of course, knew the outcome, but he had something to demonstrate, apparently, to the other angels. They had to report to him. Right. And it says, and behold, so Satan showed up, and and this is so interesting. This is a fir- and first. He says, he says the he job. Says, he says the job within the dialogue. It's bigger than you, Job. This oh, is bigger he than. He says, you. "Where were you when I made the world?" Right. Uh, but the thing is, like, say God directly. He talks to Lucifer conversationally. He says, uh, "From where have you come?" And Satan answers, "Roaming the world, roaming the earth, and walking about it to and fro." And then God says to him, "Have you have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen him?" Uh, blameless and upright in his ways, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Lucifer, who is doing his job at this point, which like Satan is also means accuser. Like he's like a prosecutor. Yeah. He's up there prosecuting a case. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so he, 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 this is what he says. He says, he's the well, DA. yeah, but he says this, he says, well, does Job, uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Why would he fear you? Isn't it true that you blessed him in all his ways? Like right. he just said, why don't you strike out your hand and take everything that he has away from him? And then, Let's see what happens because he'll he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, behold, everything he has is in your hands. Only don't harm him. So you know what that shows? The first chapter in the oldest book of the Bible, chapter one of the Bible, essentially. It's not in chronological order, but the first chapter of our Bible directly addresses that, um, you know, our enemy, our adversary, that God is in control of everything. He's not up there rubbing his hands and going, I hope it it works out. You got to pray. Come on. Like, that's the Mactub. Prayer is for us. It's not for, you know, but to help him. That goes it's, back to the Islamic concept of Mactub is destiny is pre-written. It's all written. Around. Yeah, that's a very uncomfortable concept, it isn't is. it? You know, and you that's. You can't wrap their head around that. Well, it, people can. Uh, it, 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 that's the problem is that like that. It's like, well, okay, then God or how is it my fault? So then? then so then Christianity has an answer to that question, it though. It does. That Judaism never. Judaism never really. I guess they probably have, but Christianity really answers that question with one line by Jesus and says, 
Those who have wept will be comforted. And, that, and then you think about that. The blessed are the meek, for the they, kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he's saying that if you're, if you're in this world and you're struggling and you're, you, think you're, you think that God doesn't love you because you're not rich and mm, no one loves you, God, don't worry. You a special place you are, in God's heart. Yeah, like, you, have a spe- like, you are the most important one, actually. You want to know why God destroyed Nate? See, here's the thing. Like, the, the Bible in the Old Testament is chock full of the horror of the wrath of God, but why does the mercy of God, which is what the New Testament's about, the Christ coming to literally die to, uh, you know, for all sins of mankind, past, present, and future, if we only accept that gift, that's the mercy, you know, of God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, the death of the soul even, you know, but they'll have everlasting life, for God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yeah. How you do it by giving his only begotten son, Jesus. That is meaningless utterly if you don't have an understanding of the wrath. Yeah. So, and the, the, the Bible, this, I get so irritated with so-called Christianity nowadays because the Christianity has two elements going into the world to spread the good news, just sharing, you know, that Christ died for you and, and, and that you can't be good enough. That's the point. Otherwise, you could die on the cross. Like, uh, right. it's a, you know, we don't have to understand it, but, you know, we have to open the present for it to be a gift, right? It's that and helping the poor. It's not, the people who preach politics in the Bible are, are directly contravening Christ's own mandate. Yes. Render to Caesar what's due Caesar Thank and you. render to God. He wasn't a social justice warrior, for heaven's sake. He wasn't, like, you. he, not that so, he did a lot for social justice, but he wasn't, any political thing. He doesn't care about lowering your taxes either. Yeah, he doesn't it. care about His none of that. His kingdom is spiritual. And so literally, Christianity is two things. Going into the world to spread the good news, not subjugating it or at some point, James, and helping the poor. And James James talks about what you just said, where a lot of these Christians today, especially in America, the ones who are like the Christian conservatives, who have mostly wealthy suburban Christians, they'll say, it's not about works. It's all about faith. And it's like, what okay, does that even mean? it's like, okay, you're right in a sense where that's where you got to start. You got to start with faith and then the, the grace will come after that. But then James talks about being more mature about it and saying, what is faith without works? Yeah. Faith without works is dead. He said, so that means he said, he's, then he says, what, then he says, what is good religion? Feeding the poor. He said, talks about doing good things. Yeah. He says, if you don't have good works, if you're not out there giving all you can, it was probably fake people. And, and then your religion is nothing. Yeah, it's, you're living as a slave and not claiming. And, no, and by victory. the way, and by the way, that faith that you say that it's all about faith, and you 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 have all this money, you got a business that you own, and you you have a nice house in Amherst, and it's just about faith, not about works. I can save my money. Then, well, he's saying that your faith is not is only shown by your works. Mm-hmm. So if your works, if you don't have, you're Thank not bring, you. if you're yes. not bringing forth yes. fruits, like that's why he says we will. Uh, watch out for the hypocrites. You'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. Well, that, James touches up on that and says, if, you're, if you, you, your works aren't shown, then you don't have faith. That your faith is all a lie. You're just saying you have faith. You might even believe your own lie. Yeah, that's way more damaging. You know, like you know the the and know. And, the, and the same people that that want to preach the the parable of raising um of 
not saving earthly riches, but saving spiritual riches for heaven. The same people that always preach about that are the same people that have like retirement. They're, they're all about their retirement funds and, and making sure they have money saved up for their, for their kids and their grandkids. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with doing all that stuff. But it's like, don't be a hypocrite. Do some works. You, especially if you have it, especially if you have the resources to do good works and you choose not to because it's all about faith and not works, then you're a hypocrite. That's what that means. Exactly. It's just like, you know why um, people are like starving for something to get intense about? I think that's why social media, for instance, you know, is is, is the, the, the universal force that it is now is because it's like this much cheaper and easier, instantly gratifying way to always be able to like step into the role of pretending that you truly are burning for some it's cause it's that you're not burning it's about. also a true manifestation of the collective consciousness is social look at social media everything except on twitter everyone's, everyone's, everyone's yes twitter's just a cesspool for politics but, yeah. but no i know there's a lot of ugliness out there but that's what humankind is ugly there's a lot of ugliness in humankind facebook twitter as much as you want to talk about how it's killing us all we're all like this on our phones all day that's all true but it's, it's it was was social media not inevitable it's like social media, not the Ted Kaczynski that... predicted social media. In fact, he was the first one, I think, to use the term in uh, on industrial society and its future. His yeah. manifesto that he wrote, which is like now taught in universities and everything. Um, and I encourage everybody to read it just because it's an important document historically. Yeah. Uh, but he he predicted this. Yeah. You know, and... like he, uh, you know, to it. But granted, like not only was he a murderer. But he did happen to have, <laughs> a, you know, he was 160-something IQ. He was the youngest full professor in the history of, I think it was MIT. Yeah. I'm not positive about that. At, like, 23, he was also an experimental uh, subject in MK Ultra. Yeah. Literally. Did you see that movie on Netflix? Like, that, that you know, with multiple parts? Sam Worthington is the detective yeah. who tracks him down. I gotta check that it out. It shows him being tested. Like for over the period of a year. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I got to check it's that out. It's so creepy. It is to think is of weird. things like that. But like. Yeah, the, the, I'm. I, I guess I'm talking like myself about, um, like you know, my own beliefs about this and and everything. Because uh, for you know, for anybody that uh, is ever having any kind of crisis of faith, um, Mother Teresa herself, and I'm not even just talking to you know Christians now, just anybody. You know, this is a human thing I'm addressing for a, a moment purely. Mother Teresa herself is now, you know, a saint in the Catholic Church. Um, Mother Teresa, if you read her diaries, and I encourage everybody who struggles with any kind of faith, you know, to read them. Mother Teresa, who is like the definition of charity as we understand it, who saw the worst types of, you know, horrors, you know, and what humans afflict on one another and just like was in the middle, in the center of the fire, like helping directly struggled so badly with the concept of the existence of God. But I love the message that she said. She just basically said, like, I kind of know that, you know, I don't, I won't feel that I even believe at all. I'll feel the opposite. But like, that's essentially, that's the best time to, to march. That's when your faith is really demonstrated. Like why? Because, because I choose to continue be believing this, even when I don't feel it. Like I, I have to believe that, because, you know, why are we supposed to pray to a God, for instance, that knows everything that knows because he describes us as being able to change his mind. What he's really doing in the Bible is condescending to, you know, cosmic infants yeah. to us. Like he's talking not down to us, but in a way that we can understand 
on that's our where plane these, of existence. That's he, where the parables come in. He's not bound by the rules that we experience because he made them. Well, think about it. So the Messiah comes. I just get so frustrated. The Messiah comes, and what does he do? He speaks in parables. Why? Because he's talking because about understand he's talking about something that's so great that we can't we would never understand what he's actually talking about. I'm very proud, uh, uh, you know, to be sitting next to a guy that like knows that statement, and, and most Christians, you know, uh, don't even know that. Most no. Christians can't even well, recite the Ten Commandments. This is this is what I this, this is why I bring up the whole Gnosticism versus literal Bible believing Christians is that. These par uh, so people take these parables as if this it was spoken in one time for one reason, but these parables have principles behind them, oh, principles yeah. of honesty, principles of perseverance, principles of whatever whatever spiritual principle you can think of is behind these parables, and you're supposed to apply them in every aspect of life. So that means that it's not just limited to the Bible; it's limited to everything. A lot of philosophy behind the New Testament, even the Old Testament, you'll see in Regular philosophy like Plato and Pythagoras and Veda, the Vedas, the, La the Eastern Confucius, all these, and, you, and, and Christians will immediately repel you from, from from mentioning that. It's so tragic. Like you bring up you bring up like all these similarities between Buddha and Jesus, and Christians will say, "Don't ever say that." There's nothing. There's nothing compared to those two. Well, it's like okay, what do you all think, understanding. What do you think, God, what do you think like... "Son of Man" actually means? "Son of Man" means he is the 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 result. Of all good that human brought forth, so that means there's there's aspects of aspects of Buddha, aspects of Confucius, aspects of Plato, aspects of Aristotle. All of it goes down to the Son of Man. That's why history he's started. He's the embodiment of it. He's yeah. the embodiment he's the of the fulfillment everything. of it. That means that that strengthens my faith as a Christian. It does. C.S. That's why I try to bring that forth because I think Christianity is dying for a reason. It's dying because Christianity is dying because people. There's this like. It is really grave, vague. Christianity is dying because it's not Christianity anymore, as defined at all it's, by the Bible. And if you believe, you know what the uh, the Bible says, even especially by the way, when it's contrary to what our society or culture. I'm being generous now because it's a cesspool. It's yeah. worse than Rome. Uh, but people, like, try to, people try to apply Christianity to their political views now. You see that more Stop, than anything else. Is Trump, no is, Trump is chosen oh, by God. This is, this, is what these, this is what these evangelical churches say. Trump is chosen by God, and he's going he's gonna to save America. Where God is, chooses where every ruler that's in power. Where in the Bible does it ever talk about saving America? Yeah, America's not even talked about in the Bible. Right. At all. Which is alarming, by the which way. Which is alarming. Why are they not in, you know, like we talk about ourselves like we're in the end times right now. Yeah, except for America's not ever even remotely this described. Is we're, we're in New Babylon. Maybe here. we're the whore of Babylon. That's, that, Maybe that, we are the whore of Babylon. And I, I think, love this country. I, I think I'm talking true. about the, the, uh, the uh, like American culture. Yeah. You know, trademark. Like, like or lack I of I believe it. that, dude. Like, it's a violent... That. Cause, yeah, our new like we don't need a well. They had the Coliseum, so do we. It's called Twitter. It's called Facebook. Yeah, like we're throwing people to the lines. We're doing worse. At yeah. least, at least you Cancel fucking died. You know when when they when you were eaten alive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know it's a different kind of death. It's a fate worse than death when you're fated to surviving a life that's been stolen and obliterated from you because of a mindless Twitter mob. A different kind of so-called collective consciousness. Oh yeah, that's what I want. This is the last thing I want to say because we're so dude. It's like an hour and forty minutes already. Fair enough. So that's it was what, a big this question. Is, this is why I bring the. I mentioned the logos, and then we got caught off track. The logos and the and the original New Testament, the Greek New Testament, 
the John, the, the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and that book that, that got translated to English as the word word. But really, there's two words in Greek that mean word. There's lexi and there's logos. Lexi is the common word for word. If I said the word word in Greek, it's lexi. But he used the word logos. Logos is a different meaning for the word word. It means logic, reason, understanding. Like consciousness. It means everything. It's a living that, thing. Yeah. So, so to apply the logos to everything would mean whatever the truth is. So he was the truth. So I feel Hence like the way, the like truth, and the that's life. Why, that's why I feel like a lot of these modern Christians that are like, don't worry about the original text. Just read the King James Version in English. And they miss Lucifer genius and, and, to infiltrate it. You know, the, that's what I'm to saying. infiltrate the 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 the, the, the one thing that's supposed to be the house of God. And no. and and yeah, I I don't care if people think, well, how could you believe in this? <laughs> Let me finish like, this real quick though. The the thing I'm trying to say is we we it becomes a game of telephone almost where we lose the real. If you really, if you really are a Christian, and you really want to give yourself up to Christ, wouldn't you want to know what the original gospel said, what it means? Wouldn't you want to yeah, know if, for if there's a difference between the word logos and lexi, what they mean? And then when I found that out, it changed everything I thought about Christianity because now the logos becomes this like this figure that can crop up in everything, every every problem I have. I think about the logos. What's the real, what's the truth right here? Not what I want it to be. But what is the, the essence of the what concept? Is, what is the, yeah, what am I really, what's the answer based off truth, logic, reason? That's what that is. It goes, so it becomes very, very philosophical. And it, it, you lose a lot of meaning when you, when you drop that logos out of the picture because he, Christ is the logos. I like that. Yeah, you do lose a lot of meaning. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just like, you know, it, it's, uh, every surface has like a depth, you know, so. And it's so limitless, you know, I mean, every, you, you can literally like go down an infinite rabbit hole about like a single verse Yeah. in, in, yes. in, in the Bible. What? I mean, like every word is put there for some of them are so weird and otherworldly and clearly inspired by, a, you know, a power that we don't understand. For instance, you know, when, when Jesus is casting out legion, yeah. you know, I'll leave off with this just to, you know, because I, I Anybody who rediscovers this, like, it just invigorates your life. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. Like, Christ, you know, is casting out the demon legion. And the demon, you know, isn't, like, you know, coming out at him. It's cowering yeah. and gibbering. And it says, Master, have you come to torture us before our appointed time? And Jesus doesn't, you know, have a banter. He doesn't ask. He commands. What is thy name? And this is one of the coolest and creepiest things in the Bible. And the spirit answered, I am legion, for we yeah, are many. many. Yeah. Oh, of course, like a legion is a Roman army. Yes. It's a thousand soldiers. A thousand, yep. And so that, I just, like, it's littered all over the 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 Bible. And for myself, I just bring it up because um, I found my faith tested in all kinds of ways that I was kind of, like, terrified of all my life. And I'm sure that's going on for everybody in their own way that's watching this. And, like, there are answers and you can find them and they're not all and don't be relative. afraid to challenge the status yeah. quo you know i mean honestly like you know the thing that informs my entire life or whatever i personally attack the hardest why do i do that because i i live with a lot of anxiety and uh it's difficult to 
keep any of that in check if you're constantly questioning whether you know your own reality is itself real and you it's not just some weird marijuana concept it's like you know your understanding of like mathematics or or you know bears it out like why that could be a real thing you're just you walk around exhausted and so i find it for myself necessary and exciting in in, in a, a, a scary way to constantly go all out in attack like i google questions um constantly uh that i know are like i kind of don't want to know the evidence against these things like yeah like, like you know people that try to debunk something the, that the a church member, being fulfilled like, something that a church member would call blasphemous don't even do it you're you're, you're following yeah, but satan the, but you, it's at the same time you know at that point i know i'm living something that i'm allowing to be an illusion yeah and it's just like I, you know, so I, I guess, you know, my own, like, it might seem like, you know, it was all over the place, but I mean, so is the concept. It, it's all so over is, the place so because the it's universe. everything. Yeah. The universe like, is static and it's not. If we were able to like streamline the, the nature of this talk, I would think we, you know, we'd be doing it in injustice, you know, because it's supposed to split off into infinity, right? Yeah. That's the whole nature of the concept. Yeah. But, uh, I like how the one guy signs off on, on, on here. Like when he just tells everybody that he loves them or whatever. Like, like every podcast. I, oh, Robbie. Yeah. He's always like, I love you. I'm just, yeah. I'm yeah. Just, Robbie. I, I got to get him I back. I really on love you. that. So yeah. yeah. Shout out to him. And like, yeah, I love you too. Like I want you all to be doing as well as you can. And for what this is worth to any of you, uh, I will be praying for you. Yeah. And I'll just finish off by saying, you know, don't take me too serious. You know, I, I, I just say what I believe. And sometimes I, sometimes I mean, a year from now I might say something different why should you be taking my, seriously my mind changes that's all I gotta say and I think I, I think it's good and healthy because you're a thinker yeah it's, it's good and healthy to be able to change your mindset once in a while and look at things differently yeah, how horrifying would it be to ever arrive at one fixed thing forever and then have to stay with that forever yep. it's like intellectual death it doesn't make sense it's like it's like trying to, trying to say a planet's gonna stop in the middle of its orbit and just stay there it's not gonna happen yeah. Uh, you know, we are a part of the universe. The universe is a part of us, and we're a representation of each other. And, um, dude, I, I can talk for hours about this stuff, man. I'm going to have you back on as soon as possible. You got it, man. Thanks, man. All right, guys. See you later.